Awesome job. Listen, high five the person beside you as you're sitting down. High five the person beside you. Give them a high five. Tell them you are not common. That doesn't mean not normal, just so you know. You're not common. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, you're definitely not common, right? Because I didn't talk to you first because you're weird. There you go. I saw some of y'all. That was good. Listen, we got a lot to cover and a long way to go and a time to get there. He's bound to down. All right, here we go. We, got, we seriously have a bunch to do and a long way to go today. And so I just want to tell you, if you're a guest with us, we're so honored that you came. If you're a second time guest, we're honored you came back. That's awesome, right? Is that awesome, church? Is that awesome? Hey, listen, today we're starting a sermon series called Common, Uncommon, right? And I think it probably is a confusing title to some people because we got the puzzle pieces everywhere, but we're going to fill you in on that in a second. But isn't this kind of what life seems like sometimes? You know what I mean? Like, it's just an ordinary life. I'm just doing my thing. I'm just facing the same thing that everybody else faces. I'm just doing what I do. And here's the thing. God did not call you to be ordinary. He called you to be extraordinary. He made you special in his image. And so we're going to look at the details of our lives. And for some of you, it's going to feel like I'm in your kitchen or in your den and reading into your lives. I'm not, I promise. This isn't about you individually, but hopefully God will talk to you through it. But we're going to look at how God uses these things in our lives that seem like, why would God let this happen? You know what I mean? Like, I think everybody in here has faced some of those things, maybe this week. And so let me just get a show of hands. How many of y'all like to put these together? How many of y'all like putting puzzles together? Show me your hands. You like them? There's like 10 of you. This is crazy. How many of y'all strongly dislike putting these guys together? Left brain, right brain. I see some of you, right? I really like putting these together. But let me tell you when I like putting these together. When they're the 48 piece that's my kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right? Because I'm good at those. <laughs> we get them on the floor, the big floor puzzles, and I'm like, I am a genius. Like, I, I, I just want to pat myself on the back and say, I don't know if I should be able to be in this room. I'm so smart, right? But, but what do we do when we put a puzzle together, right? What's the first thing that you try to find? The corners, we, smart people, just come on. And then you go for the border, right? I didn't say run to the border, right? I'd run for the border, Taco Bell. Like I'm talking about like we put the border together first. And pretty much if you take time and you spread it, even with a thousand pieces, and that's a lot of pieces in a puzzle, like I don't know that I'm patient enough to do a thousand piece puzzle, but I'm going to do it in the next couple of weeks. Somebody pray for me, right? But but when you just look at the border, you can spread all the pieces out, right? You can find it, and you sort of make it work. And that sort of feels like what life is like. I can, make, I can make the border work. I can make the outside work. But when it gets down to it, and the inside pieces are just laying there everywhere. Everywhere, right? They're scattered all over your floor, scattered all over your table. And in a case like this, I'm just telling y'all, like, when it's a clear, like, there's obvious things that are different, it's easy to put a puzzle together. But I need for you to recognize that all of those flowers look the same. Are y'all with me? Do y'all see it? Ah! Right After you've put together about 10 of them. How many of y'all have done this? I, I, I really need you to talk to me and be honest with me, okay? Because I'm going to feel real bad if y'all don't. Because I know y'all have done this. I, we can be on the same page. You get about right here and you've done all this. 
And that piece isn't there. I've looked at every piece. It's like, how does that happen? How does it get under the table? Y'all don't, or under the bed? For real, it's a piece of, come on. And so what do you do when this piece doesn't fit? Come on. You make another piece fit. Right? That looks like it fits. You start stomping on it. Ah, what's wrong with this? I'm going to make it fit. Right? Come on. And then after a while, we just want to give up. <laughs> and pretty much, this is the story of my life. I'm just letting y'all know when it comes to puzzles. I have never finished a 1,000-piece puzzle. Now, last week, I finished the 48-piece again. Phew, you're welcome. But I, I've never finished a big puzzle. And then they make like 10,000-piece puzzles. <laughs> that is cruel and unusual punishment. Like, that's what they should do instead of water torture, they should do this. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that doesn't even make sense. But doesn't, isn't this kind of what life is like sometimes? Y'all know what I mean? Like, like we're going through life. And, and let me just show you, this is a lighthouse. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, stay with me if you're not, because I'm telling you this message is for you too. But if you're a follower of Jesus, Matthew chapter five says that we're to be salt and light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That is our calling in life. And we know that we're above and we're big. And it's not that we're better. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. But that we're called to be different. But when I can't put the pieces of the puzzle together, I lose my mind. And I just want to make it work. And when things in my life happen that I can't make sense of, God, why would you let bad things happen to me? I'm good people. That's what we say, right? I'm good people. Why would you let bad things happen to good people? And we fail to see the fact that we were never called to put the puzzle together of our lives. We were never called to paint the whole painting. We were called to walk in faithfulness, which doesn't, which, listen, we don't even get to put any of the pieces together. And yet when there's a piece missing and you feel like it should go here, or when there's a piece that seems out of order, we lose our minds and we're ready to do what I do with thousand piece puzzles. And let's give up. Let's give up. And I just want you to know, guys, because I believe there's a lot of people in here that are deeply struggling with things. And you're like, I don't understand, Pastor. Why would this person pass away? Why would I go through this difficulty in my home? I want you to see this. If you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this. God takes common people. And that's every one of us. We're just human beings, right? At my best, I'm a man and I screw up all the time. But he takes what seems to be common and does uncommon things through them. But it's only when, listen, it's only when we follow God throughout the process. And as soon as I try to make sense of it, or I, listen, myself try to be uncommon, I try to rise myself up, look to greatness. I am going to do this. We go from what God's intent for our lives truly are to an absolute train wreck. And it's because of our deep-rooted desire to be safe. The opposite of You Make Me Brave, that song that we just sing, he calls me out beyond that shoreline into the waves. He, I, I, I have such an interior, internal battle to try to fight against that, that I never find the uncommon. God doesn't want me, me to be ordinary, but extraordinary, and yet I never seem to find the extraordinary. Because as soon as that difficult time in my life comes, I kick over the chairs, and I take the puzzle, right, and I put it back in the box. 
And I say, God, there's no way that you would let someone that loves you. There's no way a loving God, even if I don't love you, would make me go through this. Today we're going to look, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at a guy named Joseph. It's found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and we're not going to read every verse of every chapter. So some of y'all just went, oh my gosh, right? (laughs) That's a lot of reading. We're going to cover the highlights, but listen, I encourage you to go read it. Because this guy's life is crazy. He was born into a family, a very, very important family. And as soon as we find that out, and some of you, some of you, you come from good stock. And you're like, I I come from these people. I should have an easy life. Listen, you're not going to have an easy life. Remember, remember, I'm going to repeat this every week. John 16, 33. You will face trials and tribulations and hardships All of you, listen, will face those things, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He never says, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He never said, you will overcome the world. He said, I already have overcome the world, and you just have to walk with me and let me put the puzzle together of your life and paint the picture. But so many of us want control that we never seem to let that happen. And in cases like Joseph that we're going to look at today, it's maddening. And many of you are sitting in a chair right now, and you feel just like he felt at this time of his life. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 37, understanding that this is the great-grandson of Abraham. How many of y'all know this song? If you didn't grow up in church, don't let it be awkward, but if you did and you ever went to vacation Bible school and you were a kid, y'all are about to sing along. Ready? Father Abraham. It's all right, so we know that. Praise the Lord, right? And then the many sons that Father Abraham had was Isaac and then Jacob And then the favorite son of Jacob is where we're starting today in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 3. This is Israel, but God had changed his name from Jacob when he got the limp. If y'all know the story, he got the limp because the angel touched his hip. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Just a little background on that, why that's a big deal. Joseph had 11 brothers. Does that freak any other parent out? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I got two. Praise the Lord. Like when we had our boy, he gone, right? I was done, right? Because it, it is crazy. But then, but then he kept having sons. I got proof. All right. Anyway, y'all don't have kids because y'all didn't say anything to me because some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Because he was the son of his old age. And so, and, and by the way, little side note to that, he was also Joseph, the son, the oldest son of his favorite wife, the one that he adored the most. And so that's why it was so important. But he had 10 older brothers. He is second youngest. And in, in, that, in that day, the oldest of all sons received all the inheritance. And this was like a big deal. This was like a, a, a point of pride. And at, at this time, Joseph is 17. Y'all need to know this, 17 years old. And his older brothers were as old as 30. I, I just want you to picture being 30 years old and having a 17-year-old brother come in the room and be like, all right, you're welcome. I'm the favorite. I get all the J's. Y'all don't get any J's. That means Jordans, okay? I get to wear all the cool clothes. Like, I get to do my thing. And y'all just have to sit there. <laughs> I get the inheritance, right? You'd already be mad. Like, what? who's this cat, man? I'll punch you in the mouth. <laughs> y'all know what I mean, right? Some of y'all, okay. And he made him a robe of many colors. And so instead of Jordans, which we're going to just pretend that these are Jordans with many colors, and that is awesome. Okay, two of you think that's awesome. The rest of you are like, I don't know what that is still. But, but, but Jacob gave Joseph the tenth 
excuse me, 11th son, 10 older brothers than him, he got the royal robe. He got made known that he was the favorite. And I just want you to imagine being one of those brothers and being like, oh, well, sorry mug, man, right? And so this is what happens. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of them, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peacefully to him. And that means, if I'm reading this right, they spoke to him. Y'all with me? It just wasn't very nice, right? I'll punch you in the mouth if you come over here, boy, right? And every time they passed him, they, because why? And, and listen, it's easy to criticize them and be a preacher and be like, those guys should have loved their brother. I wouldn't have. Y'all with me? I would have been mad because I'm the oldest. Like if I'm Reuben and I'm, the, and I'm the, the oldest one, I'm like, bro, is this real? Like I'm sitting down with my pops and I'm like, hey, man, we're going to have to talk this thing out because this is crap. And so they couldn't even speak nicely to him at all. No, no peaceable conversations could happen. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. We need to pump the brakes just for a second in the story and just understand that if you have a dream and you tell me that I'm going to worship you, I'm going to struggle with that. Y'all with me? You're going to bow down before me, Pastor Mark. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about. Like, so Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. So we've gone from I hate you to I hate you, and it's about to get worse. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Now, in this story, like, I, I just wonder to myself, and I know why he did it. I'm about to tell you that in a second, but I just wonder. Did Joseph think through this? You got all your older brothers. And, and I don't care who we're talking about. If you have 10 older brothers, right? The older brothers teach the younger brothers how to fight. You immediately know that you're not supposed to talk junk to your brothers. Are y'all with me? Do y'all have any older siblings that can beat you up? Some of y'all admit you still do, right? And so he didn't think this out very much. I'm just going to tell these cats what they're going to do. All right, here we go. Verse 7. Behold, we were binding sheaves. Someone say sheaves. sheaves. That's not the same thing as chief. It's sheaf, right? That's like the Kansas City sheaves. All right, here we go. Y'all got it. That was good. Tell your wives later. They'll get it too. Tell your husbands the ones the husbands didn't get it. All right, in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood up. And so it's like a stalk full of big, tall grass things, all right? And it stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. For real? <laughs> Are you sure you want to tell me this dream? Can y'all just picture it? And like you just have to wonder, what was going through all of their minds at this time? And then it continues, his brother said to him, hey bro, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you saying that you're going to be the boss of us? Are you indeed to rule over us? Like, Are you going to be the king? So they hated him even more. That's three. Hated him even more, right? For his dreams... And for his words. And so at this point, Joseph is, is making himself completely ostracized from his brothers. Listen, listen, this is the big thing. At this point, Joseph is not doing something wrong, but on the surface it looks like he is. Joseph is just following what he knows he's supposed to do. But it gets him into a mess that we're about to read in a second because people react naturally. Listen carefully and don't miss this and I'm going to move on quick. If you do what God has called you to do, you will offend people and make people mad. Did you hear what I said? Yes. If you do what God has called you to do, there are some that will never understand. And Joseph did this with good intentions and a good heart. 
and was not pointing at them. I don't believe, based on the structure of these sentences, I don't believe that Joseph was pointing in their face and laughing. He was just simply giving the information that he had. But people don't care about that. And you need to understand that some will not love you. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that they will hate you if you love me because they've hated me first. And so in this case, Joseph is simply following instruction that he strongly felt from God getting dreams. And yet, I put myself in their shoes and I get it. I understand. Verse 9 says, Then he dreamed another dream, and he told his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, his father, and the moon, his mother, and the eleven stars, his brothers, were bowing down to me. And there's other symbolism in that, but in this case, that's how they understood it. So why do you need a second when you've already told us you're bowing down? Verse 10. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. Because listen, the honor that you gave your father was huge back then. and You could not talk against them. You could not ever say you're going to bow to me. Like, like your relationship with your father was everything and he was the favored son. And so at this point, he's kind of he's pushed back even more, not just with his brothers, but now with his own father. And his father rebukes him. What is this dream that you've had or that you've dreamed? Shall I, your mother and your brothers, indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Like, son, why don't we think through this for a second? Whenever we're living for the Lord, trying to do what God has called us to do, and it's not for him, it's not trying to earn his favor, but whenever we've trusted him as Savior and we begin to do the things that God has called us to do, which is craziness sometimes on the surface, there are people in your life that will say, what is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? Why would you move to this country to spread the gospel? Why would you give up your six-figure income to go serve God here? Why would you do these things? That makes no sense at all. Why would you think with this spiritual aspect and you're being all emotional about this and you're not using your brain? And listen, I understand. Sometimes God calls you out beyond the shores into the waves when you have no control of life whatsoever. And that was taking place right here with Joseph. And he's kind of stuck. Verse 11 says, and his brothers were jealous. They've hated and hated and hated, and now they're jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And so he knew that Joseph was probably not doing this to cause trouble. But yet his brothers in verse 12 and 13 and 14, they start scheming against him like, we got to get this cat, man. This is ridiculous. We got to go after this. Enough. This This is stupid. And so they start scheming of how they can get rid of him because I'm tired of him being the 11th oldest son and getting all the goods, and then telling us, come on, man, like that's ridiculous. And so verse 18 says, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And so they've gathered around, they've they've started doing all these things, and then they said, "Let's, let's kill him, let's kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Can y'all just picture it, those older brothers? There's that crazy dreamer, right? We're going to conspire to get him. And so this is what happened. Reuben, his brother, they said, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And these pits were deep holes, very deep. Like you're not just going to crawl right out of it. And they used to be wells and there were wells that dried up. And then he said, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. So we'll, we'll cut him up 
And we'll spill the blood and we'll say an animal got him and we'll take him back and we'll be so devastated and we'll be able to hide our sin. And we will see what will become of these dreams. And people in your life, when God puts something big in your life, they'll want to take matters into their own hands. And this, listen, this is when you're put into a very awkward, hard, difficult situation. Sometimes it's what you say, sometimes it's what you do, and sometimes it has nothing to do with you at all as far as what you've done. And these bombs start dropping in your life. Is anybody with me? These storms start dropping in your life, and you're like, why? God, I just did what you asked me to do. I followed you. I've trusted you as Savior, and now, now this is what you have for me. How is this freedom that we sing about? How is this fun? How is this the life that I, I keep hearing these Christians talk about abundant life and all these great things, and yet they're throwing me into a pit and they're talking about killing me? And I really think the reason that we get to this point is because we're convinced that, God, I'm going to pray this prayer and I'm going to do my thing as long as I still get to put the pieces of my life together. As long as I still get to be the boss, I'm all about you being a part of my life. That's never been the point. It's never been the point at all. Verse 21, then Reuben, his brother, says, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let's not take his life. Let's think of another way. Let's think of something else that we can do. So verse 22 says, And Reuben said to his brothers, Shed no blood. Don't kill him. Let's not shed his blood. Let's throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father's house eventually. And so he's like, listen, let's punish him. I agree he's a punk. We need to beat him up. Let's not kill him. And then this is what happens. They, when Joseph came... To his brothers, they stripped him down, took off that royal cloak that he had, took the robe off, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. I just wonder today, I don't think anybody this week probably spent time in a deep pit, right? I don't, I don't think any of you were, hopefully, any of you were thrown into a deep hole. But I wonder if you feel so betrayed by someone that loved you or that loves you, that you feel like you have a pit, and even though that it's not literally a hole, you feel like it's much deeper than this hole. Or someone passed away in your life that you love so very dearly. You feel like God. If you're painting a picture, man, it sure is some ugly colors. You've made a mistake with this one. Like, I think you have everybody else's best interest in mind. I believe God for you, but I don't believe God for me because that pit, that hole, that, that dark place, that difficulty in my life is way too deep in this case. Why would you do this? The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Here's what I want you to know, guys. We get so caught up, listen, in good things. Let's be honest with ourselves. We start taking credit. Man, God, check this out. It's the middle of July and there's a full room. Look how awesome, man. Look how awesome we're doing. And then something horrible happens and you're like, I'm the worst. I did this. I did all of this. This is all my fault. And listen, I'm not taking away that there's consequences to sin, so don't miss the point. But I'm saying we put everything on ourselves like we are the ones that make it happen. 
And then when the worst thing comes, we believe that our whole life, don't miss this, don't miss this. Our whole life is defined by that one event. And I'm not saying that one difficult situation doesn't change the course or it's not a different stroke that is a different color that we can't possibly understand at the time because we only get this much in to what is a massive tapestry and we only get to pull little pieces back to see what's going on. I understand that there's things that happen that shift and change things, but what I'm telling you is that is not the place that you'll be forever. That is not the place that you'll be forever. And it's the place that God sends you and allows you to go. And the worst things that some of you have been through with abuse and with everything else that has happened, God allows these things to happen so that he can move you to where he wants to ultimately take you. Your destiny, the place that he has in mind for you. And yet when we're there, we think this is my destiny. This is the end. No, listen, write this down if you're taking notes. The pit isn't your permanent place. The pivot, it's not your final destination. It's only a piece of the puzzle. The place that you're in today for some of you is not the place that you will spend forever. Even on this earth, it's just one of those pieces of the puzzle. And when I try to take that piece out and say, like, this isn't going to work, I believe God gives us free will. And I'm going to show you in a second what it can look like. But you'll give up the great things that God has for you because it's not fun in the meantime. If you live for the meantime, you'll never get to where God intends for you to get. And you'll never truly experience freedom because you just let God have some of you and be a part of you. And he needs and wants and desires all of you. And so many of us have raised our hands or gone through a prayer, but we've never given God everything. And then when we get to the pit, we say, ah, why? You, you're supposed to love me and I'm, I obeyed you and look, look, I ended up here. If it wasn't for the pit in this situation, Joseph would have missed the opportunity to save an entire generation. Listen, all of his people were saved that we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks because of his obedience. But it is in these moments that we decide, do I trust God or do I trust me? Is God really the one that puts the puzzle together in my life where he makes me a lighthouse, where he wants to do extraordinary things through this ordinary cat? Or is it me? And then this is what happens. They said, come, let us sell him. Somebody say, sell him. That don't sound good, does it? The pit was bad enough, but now he's going to be a slave. To the Ishmaelites, the people that hated his people more than anyone else, we cannot possibly comprehend this amount of hate. Let's sell him to these people and let's punish him for what he's done and let not our hand be upon him. We're not going to kill him. We're going to make it better. For he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers listened to him. I need everybody to look right here. Some of y'all are slaves today in your life. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. I don't mean that in back in the day in America sense or in other countries. I mean, in your, in your person, you're bound up and you're enslaved. And let me tell you why. Listen, this is not going to be popular. It's because with all the difficulties that come and then because of the things that you've chosen to do to get yourself out of the difficulties. Many of us have sinned in the last week and it was never we set out to do something horrible, but it was we set out to get out of the pit. And we fixed our eyes or fixed our hearts on things that we never should have. And then we're like, man, how did I end up in this deep 
dark hole. I'm tired of this. And I'm just covered by my sin. And the reason that I think we end up in these places, it's not always your fault. But I think we stay in these places because we believe it's our job to get us through them. And when your marriage is falling apart, and when your home is falling apart, and when your life is falling apart or your job or everything's happening and you lose your job and you get moved out of town and, you, and someone that's so close to you is gone and all these things happen, you're like, I've got to fix this. And we use every means necessary, listen, to fix it except the one thing, the one person that can draw us close and take all broken things and mend them together, to take all the pieces that are scattered around and put them together. And the answer to this is found in Colossians chapter one. Paul is writing to these people. And listen, if anybody has a testimony about a difficult life, it's the dude that was beaten to death and brought back to life, shipwrecked and left for dead, flogged over and over and over and ultimately beheaded. How can that be God's best? The gospel, listen, was taken from Israel where it, was, where it was tight all the way as far west as France. Throughout the Mediterranean, he brought it. God used him to write half of the New Testament. And I realized that he died a martyr's death, which means he, he was killed for his faith. But listen, what an amazing life that he lived. We are talking about that dude. 2,000 years later. And if I live my ordinary life in my ordinary way, making it safe, putting all my pieces together, away from God, yes, if I do that, I'll never make a difference in this world. I may be safe, but I won't be free. Listen, this is what, this is what the answer is. This is what Paul said. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You know what that means? We were made, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27 says, we were made in the image, made, created by God in, the, in his own image, through him and what else for him for him for his purpose for his glory whether you believe in Christ or you believe this is a bunch of crud and you just came here because someone tricked you coming in the room and they're gonna buy your lunch whatever you think whatever you say you were made for him you were made for his glory you were clothed in his stuff in his essence you were made for him Everything that you do, everything that you say is a reflection of the one that made you. And it, is, and it is a reflection of what you believe and what you truly know in your heart. And if you deny him with what you do, it's because you believe that you're the one that holds all things together. You were never meant to hold all things together. This is who was meant to hold all things together. And he is before all things, which means he's already gone in front of you. He already knows the outcome. He knows that you're in the pit. And he knows what will lead out of the pit. He knows the worst things and that you're enslaved to the thing that you're currently in. But he also knows the end. He also has your destiny in mind. 
And if we step back and say, well, get out of this problem, I'm tired of this. We could be without him in a safe house, in a safe place. But it is much better to be in the pit with God. Why? Because in him, all things hold together. In him, this puzzle that I can't find the pieces and I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what to do, pastor. I just want to give up. I came in here this morning with suicidal thoughts. I don't know what else to do. You can take every pill that you want to take. You can drink every drink that you want to drink. You can talk to every shrink in the whole world. But the only glue, the only glue is Jesus. Listen, listen. The glue that gets you through, come on, y'all put your hands together. The glue that gets you through was never you or never anything else. Never. Not that one time that you had the right answer. It's never been me. No matter how much I learn, no matter what I know or what I can do, the minute that I think I can get myself out of that pit, I'm done. I'm done. You got to let Jesus put the pieces back together, man. Tell me y'all are a mess. Like there's pieces scattered everywhere and you don't know what to do. And the question you've been asking yourself over and over is what is the deal and why is God letting this happen? He's got something so amazing for you in mind and I'm convinced, I, I'm convinced beyond a doubt that more than 90% of people that call themselves Christians never do this because we're convinced in our heart that we can buy our way out, think our way out, or do our way out. You cannot do any of it. There's no amount of stuff in this world that can get you through. Nothing, nothing, nothing except for this. He is, y'all say it with me. He's the glue that gets you through. He is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Jesus, is what John 14, 6 says. And in this life, you will face trials and troubles and pits and difficulties and slavery. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, listen, if you, you can do anything you want and accomplish anything you want, you can be the most powerful man or the most powerful woman on this planet. But give me the pit with Jesus. Instead of the presidency without him, I'll take it all day and all night. Why? Because God's got something greater than that for every single one of you. But this is what it boils down to. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want a sliver of you. He doesn't want half, three quarters, or 99% of you because 1% without Jesus is 100% lost. He wants all of you to let him through, put down the pieces and just walk in faithfulness. And many of you need to to today stand in freedom and say, that is the story of my life, Pastor. That's me. I am broken. I'm hopeless. F listen, freedom doesn't mean easy. Freedom doesn't always mean fun because the pit is not fun, but I'm telling you right now. When I'm with Jesus and I come to the realization that there is no one that will get me through other than him, I am never without an overwhelming amount of hope because I know that he's already gone before me and he knows the end because I know that he took the keys of death and he took the keys of hell and he took the keys of all of my junk 
And even though I will go through these crazy storms and out in waves that I can't even imagine, he's the glue that gets me through. And I just have this question today, guys. I wonder how many of y'all are living a life that is no freedom. I wonder how many of you walked in here hopeless. I wonder how many of you walked in here and your end destination is hell because it is either heaven or hell. And of those of you that are that, and I promise you it's some of you in this room, I wonder how many of you will be bold enough to say, man, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I feel like you're talking straight to me and my heart is beating out of my chest. I'm ready for freedom. I want to trust the Lord Jesus, give him all of my life and let him be the Lord of my life. And through the pits and the valleys, I know that he will take me to the promised land. I know that he has something greater in mind and I'm going to trust him as Savior. Will you bow with me? Listen, right now, I'm not going to take any time. I just want to know who is that because I believe with all my heart there's several of you in this room that that's you. And on the count of three, I just want you to throw your hand up right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I, I came in here on my way to hell, but I'm going to walk out of here with freedom on my way to heaven. I came in here in the pit, but I'm going to walk out of here in freedom. Come on now, if this you, raise your hand right now. One, two, three, who is it? Raise your hand in this room. That's me. Raise it high. Let me see it. Raise it high. Who else? That's me. Raise your hands high. Raise your hands high. Who else? Who else? Pastor, that's me. That's me. I desperately, desperately, desperately need Jesus right now. There are three people that raise their hands. I wonder, is anybody else allowing? Thank you. I see you in the back. Who else? Who else? Listen, I really believe that there's more. I just feel the Holy Spirit telling me right now. I don't know who you are, but you're sitting in your chair and you're hopeless and you're scared to throw your hand up. We're not going to embarrass you. We want to give you the place of freedom and it is not a building with crazy lights. It is a man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for you on a cross and paid the penalty for your sin with his blood so that you could be forgiven and free. And all he wants of you is for you to say, I love you back. I'll give you all of me. Not 99%, but all of me. Last chance. Last chance today. Who will say, that's me, pastor. I want to live in freedom. I don't want to walk with Jesus today. Listen, four people, four people just said, I want to trust Christ. I want to walk in freedom. But I want everybody to look this way. We're about to sing my current favorite song called Place of Freedom. And I'm asking all of you that are Christ followers, forget the word Christian a second. We know the way to declare this as your declaration of independence and to celebrate the fact that we know the King. He is our Lord and we will raise our hands and lift our voices loud and strong as one voice to worship him. This building is not our place of freedom, but the Lord Jesus Christ is our place of freedom. And together we will change the world because God is going to take common people to do uncommon things and extraordinary things to change the world. Y'all stand with us and let's sing.